What the freaking heck is up, guys? Okay, so today, um, I'm not gonna be crocheting again. Um, I feel like I'm not doing any crocheting lately, and it sucks. Also, if you notice something different, my throat, um, I went to a wedding last night. Um, I'm fully vaxxed, don't come for me. But it was by a wheat field, and I haven't been around wheat in a very long time because up here where I live, we don't have wheat. <laughs> But it was down where there's wheat, so my throat hurts. Um, my sister broke out in hives all over from the wheat, and also possibly from the lavender that was on the centerpieces. I don't know. Um, so if you if you hear that, that's what that is. Um, what else is new? Today I'm gonna light a fire underneath Matthew's butt to get a new design out. Burn merch. Um, I really can't think of anything. I feel like something big happened, but I, I don't know. Oh, the Okay, so Jenna from J Ray Designs. I know I, I talk about her like every single episode, but it's needed because it's necessary. Um, she made me some car decals so that when I drive around, people can see the name of my podcast and hopefully we'll get some new family members. Um, she made me a decal of, like, my logo that Lauren from Love Lauren Co. designed. Um, and then she made me a decal for my Instagram handle and then for my Spotify name. So I'll put those on probably today. Matthew and I are going to run some errands. Um, but yeah, today... We're going to be talking about, I'm going to make you guys mad because this case is really long and I'm going to split it up into possibly three, but probably two parts. Um, because I already have like 13 pages of research and I haven't even gotten to the murders yet. Um, yeah, you guys are going to be mad, but I can't help it. So I picked this case because of Matthew's mom. We went to Matthew's. Matthew and his brother had a joint graduation party, so we went to that last week. And his mom was like, hey, have you ever heard of this person? Like, it's my favorite case. And I was like, yes, I have. I will definitely do that for you. So today, we are talking about... And some people say her name different. It's a girl. Some people say her name different. But I say her name, Dorothea Puente. So, I'm gonna, you know, do my usual... Take a break, grab grab a drink, grab a snack, grab a project, and let's get into this. Are you ready? Dorothea was born on January 9, 1929 as Dorothea Gray. She was the second youngest to her six other siblings, and her childhood was extremely troubling. Her parents were named Trudy and Je Jessie Gray, and they were both abusive alcoholics who didn't make enough money to support both of their addictions and their seven children. Her mother, Trudy, was a sex worker during the evenings, but she would often bring clients back to her house. Yuck! This caused Dorothea to see new men walking in and out of the home all the time, as well as seeing and hearing things that little children do not need to be exposed to. Not only would Trudy do this, but she would also travel for days at a time, to go meet new clients, and instead of making sure the children had someone to care for them, did you guys just hear the sound of me? That was disgusting. Instead of making sure that the children had someone to care for them, she would lock Dorothea and her youngest brother in a closet with some food and leave them in there until she returned. 
That makes for a great person. <laughs> it was either that or leave them with Jesse, their father, who was always way too intoxicated to even care for himself. Nice. Jesse ended up passing away from tuberculosis, and after- er, here we go, with stuttering. Let me try that again. Jesse ended up passing away from tuberculosis, but- <laughs> There comes the tarp. Jesse ended up passing away from tuberculosis after surviving a suicide attempt, and this left the seven children in the care of just their mother. But, a year later, Trudy passed away in a motorcycle accident, leaving nine-year-old Dorothea to be looked after by families, by family members, and foster foster families. Oh my god! It is also suspected that, at a few of these foster homes, Dorothea was sexually assaulted. Not that any of this is an excuse for what? For, like, the behavior that we'll speak, a lot, speak about later, but it sort of gives you a look into what she went through as a child and how it relates to other people who endure the same things as her and who will go on to also commit the crimes that she committed. How do you guys listen to me? Like, how do you guys stand it? Because I can't even listen to myself talk. When Dorothea was a bit older, she found herself in Fresno, California with some family members. Dorothea's pathological lying started when she was young. She would be asked where she was born, and she would tell people she was born and raised in Mexico, which obviously was not true. She would also say that her parents left her on the side of the road, and that some random people found her and raised her, which also is not true. She would often tell people that she had, she had close to 20 siblings, and that most of them had all died before they were the age of 18. And she also claimed to have been a singer and actor, and to have known many, many famous people. She even went as far as to say that she had connections to the royal family. Yep. But in 1945, at 16 years old, Dorothea married 22-year-old Fred McFall. Fred was a soldier who was recently discharged, and he was basically... He was basically grooming Dorothea into marriage. Uh, the couple moved to Washington, and Dorothea started partaking in sex work to make money, but told people that her name was Sherry. So... Sherry and Fred had two daughters, but both were sent off to either be adopted or to live with her family. She also suffered a miscarriage, and shortly after this, Fred filed for divorce. But because Dorothea's power source is lying, she told everybody that Fred actually died of a heart attack, and that's why they weren't together anymore. Nice. Nice. So, after Fred and Dorothea got divorced, she turned to alcohol. And due to this new hobby and living off of a single income, Dorothea started committing petty crimes to make up money for what she, was, she wasn't getting through sex, sex work. When she was 19, she was caught for a fraudulent check and sentenced to one year in prison, and because of this she was given a psychiatric evaluation to see if there was a reason she had done this and if she was going to be a repeat offender. Results came back saying that she had done this because she had low self-esteem and she found confidence in her clothes and items which made her steal those things. It was also concluded that she would most definitely do this again if she didn't have therapy for her self-esteem. Um, because America sucks, she was not offered any of the guidance that she was supposed to have, and only served four months in jail, just to be sp spit back out into the world again. Um, and while she was put on probation for a year, she ran away not long into this probation and just left without telling anybody, which is like a big no-no on probation. So obviously there was a warrant put out for her arrest because you don't run away on probation. 
but after months of not being able to find her, authorities kind of just gave up and just let her go. Um, she had gone to San Francisco and started doing sex work there for money. And in 1952, she was going by Taya when she met a fisherman named Alex Johansson. And Alex fell victim to all of her lies, and they ended up getting married. At this point in her life, she opened up a brothel, which is, once again, illegal. Um, yeah. And she, or the police ended up finding out that she was doing this, and she was arrested again. But this time she was sentenced to 90 days in jail, and she served all of them. And then after she was released, her marriage crumbled, as, as it does. Um, her husband got her admitted into a psychiatric ward, and she was diagnosed with being a pathological liar with an unstable personality. Uh, she was also prescribed medication, but shortly after this, Alex divorced her. But because Dorothea was some kind of magic woman, she got married again. Within the same year of her divorce, actually. Uh, this time she married Roberto, Roberto Puente, hence the name Dorothea Puente. Um, and Dorothea chose this point in her life to leave the world of sex work and turn to a much higher paying job with less risks. A home health aide. Yeah. She basically just helped them wash, eat, and take their medication. And Dorothea and Roberto's marriage only officially lasted roughly two years, even though he had left her much earlier than that. Uh, Dorothea was actually the one that ended up filing for divorce because she was just tired of being married to him even though they weren't together and he was not around. This this part isn't proven, but it's rumored that Roberto was only with Dorothea to gain U.S. citizenship because the relationship started extremely fast, he was over 20 years younger than her, and once they were married, he took off. So now that she was single and had a lot of time on her hands, she decided that much like the brothel, she would probably make more money if she opened a business of home health aides. In 1968, when she was 39 years old, Dorothea found 2100 F Street. It was a three-story home with 16 bedrooms, and here is where she started her care home. Her clients ranged from criminals with substance abuse problems to elderly people who simply just couldn't care for themselves any longer. And like I said earlier, this house was three stories, it had a basement, a ground floor, and an upstairs. Dorothea saved the entire upstairs level for herself. She had a room, her office, that was littered with um, fake certificates and medical supplies that she couldn't use, by the way, and a living room. So basically everything that she needed to live com comfortably. And the ground floor and basement held the tenants. Um, everyone on the ground floor had their own room with their own bathroom. And the ground floor held tenants willing to pay a bit more for their stay, while the basement held lower income tenants, and the basement was just one big room with a ton of beds all separated by curtains, like a hospital, you know? So when Dorothea received a new client, their government-assisted checks, due to them like, like disability check basically, um, they would have to be signed over to her. The patients, or whatever you want to call them, they were normally on benefit checks because you know, they couldn't work due to their disabilities and whatnot. So, Dorothea would have them sign their checks over to her before they came to live in her boarding house, which I'm almost 100% sure, no, I am sure that, that that's illegal. Um, her reasoning behind this, though, was that she could manage their money 
and where it was going so that her alcohol attendants weren't spending money on alcohol and her older patients weren't stressing about bills and she was just, you know, she was just being their like personal accountant. Um, she also disclosed that a portion would be divided out for fees of the boarding house. So we'll get more into that later. Um, she was very known and well-liked in the neighborhood. She, you know, people thought of her as the sweet older lady that took care of those who couldn't care for themselves, basically. Um, she was also feeling super confident at this stage in her life because for once she had money to buy and fund the kind of lifestyle that she deemed as socially important. Um, this also led her to go out quite a bit more and she was constantly in bars and nightclubs lying about her past to seem cooler than everybody else there and she was constantly buying everyone rounds and rounds of shots as well as paying for people's entire tabs clearly she was taking more of the checks than she should have but in 1974 she hired a groundskeeper named pedro montalvo pedro was much younger than she was and to her he was good looking so she offered him a room in the boarding house as part of his pay we all know why she wanted him in that house. Um, as the two grew closer, she started bringing him out on her nights at the bars, and the two ended up sleeping together. Nice. Pedro was no exception for the lies, though. She would tell him that she was also from Mexico like he was. She told him that she was a doctor, and that she earned her degree in Mexico. And before long, the two were married. This woman. It's... It's like... How? Luckily, Pedro was more aware than all of the other husbands, and he began to see through the lies very quickly. He thought that she was stealing from the tenants, as she was, but that she was actually stealing their physical possessions, too. Not only was she stealing both money and items from the tenants, but she was also going out to bars at night without Pedro, and flirting and robbing men. Flirting with and robbing men. Um, I lost my spot. Where did I go? Oh, um... Yes, flirting and robbing men, which honestly, it's kind of a dream. You have to admit it. Like, don't, don't steal. But like, flirting with men and then getting something out of it when you're getting nothing? Kind of a dream. Um, anyways, Pedro caught onto this and instead of confronting her or filing for divorce, he just left. He just left. He said, peace out. So after a month of the marriage, he up and ran away leaving Dorothea once again to file for divorce herself. And while Dorothea was definitely stealing the money that she had, she actually put a good chunk of it back into the community by buying things for the poor youth in her neighborhood. She would buy them lunches and bags for school, which is, it's cool and all, but like, do it with your own money, you know? So in the late 70s, she was finally caught. One of her tenants was out around town one day and they happened just to get arrested and taken into custody. Weirdly enough, though, while they were in the holding cell, their government checks were being signed and cashed. Obviously, they've been in a cell. They haven't left to go cash their checks. So the police looked into it and found out that it was Dorothea. Police then found that all of the checks being delivered to the boarding house were signed by her, which is very illegal. Um, and for this, she was arrested and put on probation for five years and told that she was not allowed to ever run a boarding house again. While she was being spoken to about her probation, she was given yet another evaluation by a psychiatrist, and this is when she was diagnosed with unspecified schizophrenia, which back then just basically meant like she was showing signs of more than one type of schizophrenia. 
um, so it's unspecified. So for the next five years, she was on probation. Um, she gained and lost multiple jobs, moved all over California, and longed to have her care home again. So she moved back to Sacramento in 1979 and came up with a plan. She decided to put her foot back in the door of home aides and looked into becoming a carer for a family. Since she was going back to Sacramento, a place where she wasn't known for being a carer who stole money for people, she quit dyeing her hair so it grew out gray. Um, she wore older looking glasses and she started wearing clothes for 60 to 70 year olds when she was only about 50. If you want to know what she looks like when I post this episode, I'm going to post a picture with her as like on Instagram. I should clarify that on Instagram. I'm going to post a picture of her and link the episode to it. So, um, go to my Instagram at crocheting crime podcast. I'll spill that one word if you want to see what she looks like. Um, where was I? Oh yeah. So she thought that the older she looked, the kinder she would look, I guess. Um, somehow, some way, she found a family on F Street. Just like the one that she got the boarding house taken away from her. From F Street. Same F Street. To care for the Odorica family. And the Odorica family hired Dorothea as their nanny on F Street. <laughs> they were a Spanish-speaking home and they chose Dorothea due to her knowledge of the Spanish language but also because she just seemed like a really sweet old lady that would help their children grow. The Odorica family gave Dorothea the entire top floor of their home as part of her pay, the place to live, um, so she would nanny the children, upkeep the house, and administer aid when needed. I'm not sure what it is about these people and Dorothea, but they all got along very well, and the children saw her as a grandmother to them, and they even asked her to be the godmother of one of their children later on. On top of this nannying job, she also went out and applied for other nurse-like jobs as well and ended up finding one that did not require a background check. Therefore, they would not see that she is not supposed to be in a caring position. Um, this job let her go to multiple different houses each day, helping people in their own homes. Obviously, she enjoyed this job a lot. Uh, but a lot of people started accusing her of stealing their things, and Dorothea had this client named Esther. And Esther was an extremely wealthy older woman who had heart problems that were on the mend, but she still needed someone to come in and care for her. With her getting better, she wouldn't need Dorothea for much longer. Um, and so Esther was getting healthier and healthier by the day, until one week she was in and out of the hospital with multiple different problems. She would be treated, and then a week later she'd be right back in the hospital. Um, thankfully, though, a social a social worker ended up pointing out that her health problems were in a synced pattern with the times that Dorothea went to visit her. They decided to surprise visit Esther's house when Dorothea was there one day, just to check things out, you know, just a casual drop-in. Um, they found that Dorothea was very helpful, showing them how she did things, and even Esther talked very highly of her. Then one day, Esther stopped showing up. The doctors were super confused until they received a call from another hospital asking for Esther's medical history. Dorothea had moved Esther to another hospital because she knew she was being looked into. And because of the move, the first doctor had the second doctor do a toxicology report on Esther, and this is where they found that Esther had extremely high levels of various drugs in her body, and none of them were prescribed to her. But you know who they were prescribed to? Dorothea. 
So, of course, Dorothy was fired, and when Esther and her family went to the police, they were told that they couldn't do anything about it because there was no actual evidence of Dorothea administering the edu- the, not what? The medication to Esther. I almost said edumacation. So, once again, she slips through the cracks of justice and rolls right along into her criminal career. And in 1982, Dorothea met an older man named Malcolm McKenzie at a bar. They were both flirting and drinking, and then Malcolm suggested that they get a cab and go back to his house. So they did. Um, And when the cab dropped them off at his home, Malcolm realized that he was much more intoxicated than he first thought. He could hardly walk, and Dorothea actually had to practically carry him into his home and lay him on the couch. He had felt fine at the club, so why did he feel so intoxicated when he got home? He also felt fine in his head and was very aware of everything that was going on around him. He just couldn't move his body. That's when he realized that Dorothea was going around his home and stuffing things into a bag. She had drugged him and was stealing from him. After she was done, she walked right over to Malcolm, stole a pinky ring right off of his finger, and left. Malcolm was fully aware of everything that was happening and literally saw Dorothea stealing. Um, So she obviously wasn't going to get away with this. And when he was sober enough to move, he called the police and... They showed up at Dorothea's home and arrested her, and she had a court date set for three months later. All she had to do was stay stay out of trouble and lay low for three months. But it's Dorothea Puente. She can't do that. So obviously, Dorothea needed to make money somehow. So she called up her 61-year-old friend, Ruth Monroe. Ruth had recently found out that her husband had terminal cancer, and she was scared for her future as a widow. And Dorothea saw this as an opportunity for them to start a company together. A catering company. All of the initial funding came from Ruth's bank account with the promise that they would make the money back before, or make the money back and more once they started up. They opened up this joint bank account where Ruth put in $2,000 and the two of them got to planning. And in April of 1982, Ruth's husband began to decline very quickly. To keep her mind off her husband and more on the business, Dorothea invited Ruth to stay with her at the Odorica family home, and Ruth and her children thought this would be a great idea. Just will it though? So once Ruth was all moved in and settled well into her new home, you guessed it, her health started to decline. Friends and family noticed how spaced out she was all the time, as well as her children finding her asleep in the middle of the day, which is very out of character for her. Dorothy explained this all away by claiming that Ruth had just come out of a nervous breakdown and the doctors gave her a tranquilizer shot so that she was she was still out of it, you know? She just hadn't come out of the tranquilizer yet. But a few days later, Ruth's children were contacted by Dorothea to and told that Ruth was very ill. One of Ruth's sons went to check on her and found her curled up in a ball, unable to speak or respond to anything. The son figured that it was just a bad flu. And he talked to her for a bit and then left, thinking that she would be better in the next few days. However, early that next day, Ruth called, no, Dorothea called Ruth's children and told them that they needed to come over very quickly because Ruth was dead. When the coroner came to collect the body, Dorothea said that she thought that Ruth had taken too much of her medication and that she had died of an overdose. And she claimed that it could have been either an accident or an attempt on her own life. But Ruth's kids highly doubted that their mother would have been suicidal. Because of this, the coroner demanded an autopsy on Ruth's body, but because no one was there when she passed away, 
that could not be 100% sure how she overdosed. Sure enough, results showed that Ruth had in fact died of an overdose on Tylenol and codeine, and neither were prescribed to her. So they declared the death an overdose, which, yeah, but the way in which she overdosed was not determined, and her kids were not happy with that. Then, one of Ruth's son-in-laws brought up the fact that Ruth was perfectly healthy until she went to stay with Dorothea, and he started conducting his own research. He found that during this entire time, Ruth had never seen a medical professional, which means that she was never given that tranquilizer shot that made her so dazed and sleepy. And with this, he took the information to the authorities, and they told him that it basically meant nothing, and they couldn't do anything about it. No, you notice the theme here? You notice the little... A little sly theme. So now came the trial for Malcolm McKenzie. Um, between the robbing and the court date, the police had found three other victims of Dorothea's roofie and rob crimes, and they had all been drugged and robbed by her. Um, but Malcolm was the only one willing to testify against her. Dorothea knew that she was going to be found guilty and put in prison, so she went to the bank, took all of the money from her shared account with Ruth, bought a plane ticket to Mexico. And before fleeing, she stopped at her friend Dorothy Osborne's house with multiple bottles of alcohol, claiming to be super stressed and needing to drink. Dorothy Osborne invited her in, and Dorothea went straight to the kitchen to make them drinks. She made two drinks, handed one to Dorothy Osborne, and waited. Dorothy Osborne remembers taking one sip and thinking it tasted terrible, and then she remembers waking up 12 hours later with Dorothea nowhere in sight. Dorothy Osborne gets up from the couch and starts tidying up, really confused about what had happened to her and trying to recall the night when she starts grabbing glasses to take to the kitchen and notices a white powder in the glasses. Then, as she was walking around her home, she notices that a lot of things are missing, like money, credit cards, checkbooks, and that's when she realized that she had been drugged and robbed by her own friend. Dorothy Osborne called the police, and they came and collected the powder and other evidence, and then they began the search for Dorothea Puente. Thankfully, she was found three days later, and with all of Dorothy Osborne's belongings with her, um, and the plane ticket to Mexico that she still hadn't used. So it was clear she was trying to flee, so they put her in a holding cell to wait for a trial. And this trial was now not only for her drugging and robbing Malcolm, but also for Dorothy Osborne best friend and she knew that she wasn't getting away with it this time so she pled guilty to all of the charges against her and she was sentenced to five years in prison obviously word spread like wildfire and eventually got around to ruth's children who realized that this is exactly what dorothea had done to their mother and they tried getting someone to open the case on her mother's death on their mother's death again but it backfired instead of it being opened and declared that dorothea had killed ruth it was opened and declared that her death had been a suicide. So, of course, Dorothea only served about three years of her five-year sentence and got out to begin her three-year-long murder spree, making the crimes that she had already committed look like nothing compared to what she was about to do. And that's where I'm gonna leave you guys for the day. So, are you ready to be mad at me yet? I'm sorry, okay? It's just too much information to put into one episode. I know Jenna's screaming at me right now. I can just feel it. Um, but yeah, so I'm not... I've already said this on my Instagram, but I'll state it here because not everybody follows my Instagram. 
Um, I'm not going to be posting next week, the week of July 4th, because I'll be in Oklahoma and I'll be spending time with my dad, who I don't get to see very often. So you're going to have to deal with not having an episode. But then the next week after that, I'll post part two of this case. And then if there's a part three, it's going to come the week after. Or maybe I'll, I'll be nice and put two episodes out in the same week. I don't know yet. Um, but yeah, thank you guys for being patient, as always. Um, I don't know why you guys listen to me. I, I'm a mess. Um, yeah, I don't know. Happy wedding season. I've been to so many weddings this year, or this summer, and there's more to come. Um, I don't know. Um... Jenna made me this really cute shirt. It's like this bleach dyed shirt that she she does on her page. And it says uh, to-do list, number one, lock your doors. Number two, don't talk to creepy men. And then number three says crochet. And then, like I said earlier, she made me the decals. But um, I'm trying to think of other small businesses I need to shout out. Uh, Love Lauren Co. She's having a mystery earrings thing coming. Or not coming, it's here. Um, I don't remember all the details to it. Let's see if I can find it really quick. So while I look for it, I'm going to stall by talking about something else. Um, my friend Bailey at Cherry Creek Boutique, she constantly is putting out new clothing items and she releases them every Sunday. So she should have some new clothes out right now. Um, let's find it. Okay. This is from Lauren's. This is directly from Lauren's caption. It says this just in spontaneous, like a little mystery in your life. Maybe just the surprise factor. Check out my Shop for Mystery Earrings listing. Purchase from this listing and you'll receive two pairs of surprise earrings. So, I would hop on that. Also, she's about to release these really freaking cute earrings. They're like, I don't know, like jade and sage and ugh, beautiful. Um, yeah, today Matthew and I are going to go to Goodwill and just spend paychecks that we don't need to spend. And then I'm going to try to finish this orange and yellow bralette that I have. But, okay, that's enough stalling for now. So, lock your doors and don't talk to creepy- wait, what? Lock your doors and don't talk to creepy men. I love you guys, you guys are amazing. Okay, bye.